Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, October 29th, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 1, and we are at page 2, Paragraph 3. Today's readers are Deb W., Michelle H., and Penny C. The reference number for yesterday, October 28th, is 6988. 6988 for October 28th. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Maura Z to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Katie. Thank you. This is Maura Z, compulsive overeater in Virginia. 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Maura. I will now ask Alice M. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Alice, a compulsive overeater from Florida. The 12 Traditions are, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous. 
except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book, page two, paragraph three. I will ask Deb W. to begin reading. Hi, this is Deb W., uh, Oklahoma Recovered Compulsive Eater. You can hear me, right? Yes. Okay. We gave up our positions and off we roared on a motorcycle, the sidecar stuffed with tent, blankets, and a change of clothes, and three huge volumes of a financial reference service. Our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. I had had some success at speculation, so we had a little money, but we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole eastern United States in a year. At the end of it, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expense account. The exercise of an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand dollars for that year. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 
twenties with seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part of my, in my life. There was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair weather friends. And so what you know we're seeing here is that Bill had a dream. He had a vision. And he was willing to sacrifice all for that vision. Um, we know that he was creative and he was brilliant. And this is what um, we're seeing in the paragraphs that, you know, he kept going until he got what he wanted. He was, you know, he was smart. In spite of the issue that he had with drink, he was able to um, save enough money to um, go forward with his ideas where others would not support him. And so I just want to come down to uh, the second paragraph where it says, uh, my judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. And uh, when I think about this, I think about... Um, I think about, and even though more people will probably talk about the history and, you know, you know, but I wanted to center on the fact that, you know, how we tend as overeaters to get lost, even in the meetings with those of us who seem to be having um, uh, ideas, uh, once we um, lose the weight, everybody in the meetings tend to, uh, come to us to call us, those that we hear or heard often on the line that have a few things that, you know, are great to to, uh, to hear said, uh, we tend to migrate toward those uh, people when there are many that are there that are good sponsors and good leaders that could be utilized. Um, we have that tendency because we see, just like the people saw with him, they had an idea that seemed to work. When I think about that, it reminds me that I have to make sure that I stay focused when helping others with what's in the big book because Debbie has a lot of ideas. And I remember the years that I was a sponsor and I sponsored and tended to listen to people's problems and get involved in their problems rather than staying with what is written in the big book as the true way to get out of the food, as the true directions that were penned by those that went before me to get out of the food. Um, I can have an opinion, but guess what? I go into relapse. I've been in relapse before with all my opinions and all my thoughts. So, you know, I just encourage those that listen that there are many of us that do get to have a voice uh, on the line, but there are so many people if you know if we're if we're led by God, if we wait to find a sponsor uh, by our searching and going ahead and working uh, the steps as we can or reading the literature or getting uh, some direction from people that you don't hear from that are on this list that is being uh, redeveloped, um, that there are many out there to help. And I don't know why <laughs> I felt led to say that in the midst of all this great stuff, but um, that's what I wanted to share this morning. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Deb. Who would like to share on these paragraphs that were read? This is Judith. 
Okay, Judith. And Larry. Judith and then Larry. Go ahead, Judith. Thank you. This is Judith in Recovering Compulsive Overeating in Vermont. Um, I have a quote from a book about Bill W. about when they set off on this uh, adventure. Um, a psychiatrist might find it of interest that when their sidecar was finally located, loaded and they at last started off to conquer new worlds, Bill headed first for East Dorset, Vermont, which was home. After a considerable stay at Lois's parents' camp, after several late-night talks with Mark and some hilarious evenings drinking with the Thatcher brothers, especially with Ebby, who was spending the summer in the family home in Manchester, they were again ready to move on. Everything had been strapped into place the night before, the explorer's tent, the cook stove, the army locker with their clothing and build set of Moody's manuals. In early one July morning, they were on their way, a Don Quixote towering above the handlebars and an unlikely Sancho Panza in the sidecar. Um, this uh, chapter goes on to detail exactly where they went and what they did, and then the next chapters uh, go on to describe. Well, it, it just follows. It's like the big book, but in more detail. And it's called Bill W. by Robert Thompson. Thanks. With that, I'll pass. Sorry, I couldn't get to my phone. Right. Um, okay, I just, a gentle reminder, we only use conference-approved literature um, at our meeting. Uh, Larry, you're next. Thanks. Uh, this is Larry, recovered, Larry K., recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Thank you for your service. So, um, you know, zeroing in on, on I love this, um, you know, so th there they go. They, they, uh, they take off and... Um, for the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. I have that underlined there. You know, um, you, you know, here in, you know, again, this Bill's story is about, you know, is about identification and it's about progression. You know, we share our experience, strength, and hope, and we carry the message from one, you know, one alcoholic to another. And uh, that was the purpose that this served, this chapter. You know, but when, when this was written, they thought, you know, they can get this book into the hands of other people and much in the same way that we share experience, strength, and hope, that that's what people would read in Bill's story. So when I read here, you know, it takes me back to, uh, they were young, you know, um, newly married. They packed up their stuff. Maybe a lunacy commission should be appointed, but, you know, uh, but they they had their ideas. And, and what I don't read in here is is anything um related to any sort of relationship to god and um and that's okay because i can completely identify with that i was once newly married the first time i was married you know and uh um we had similar experiences maybe we didn't take off uh you know roaring on a motorcycle and uh i'm quite certain my wife at the time would not have gotten in a sidekick um uh, but uh, but the point is is that we had a similar experience, you know, and uh, and I was ambitious like Bill. Um, I was about me, myself, and I. That was um, you talk about self-centeredness, a self-centered existence. That just like Bill, that's where I was. And he had, uh, you know, I I did not believe at that point that I had much of an issue 
with uh, with anything, uh, let alone food, although I was binging, certainly. Um, but, you know, where they say the next few years, fortune through money and applause my way, I had arrived. You know, <laughs> can you imagine, you know, just how um, sort of boastful and uh, just the feeling that he's got the world by the, by the short hairs here, right? And he, uh, my judgment and my ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. You know, I thought I was really something, I'll tell you. I thought I was something really special. And um, just like Bill, the great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important, exhilarating part of my life. Yeah, it was exciting. The food was exciting for me, too, as I grew in my early career. And uh, um, I can remember having dreams of, you know, uh, of of being a very important person, just like Bill, you know, someone that would be known, uh, famous, perhaps. I can remember having those thoughts. And, uh, you know, what what I what I realized today and part of that identification is that, you know, um, is that now years later, I live a God centered existence. Thank God for this program. And uh, um, I don't live that self-centered existence anymore. You know, I don't, I don't, that, that ego um, of, of wanting things just for myself are not the primary things. I'm driven by um, just a different power. My roots are grasping a, a, a different soil now. So very grateful for that. So this identification is terrific. And I love it. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Who else would like to share on these uh, two paragraphs that were read? This is Janice Kim? M. I'd like to share. This is Vasa, please. Okay, I have Janice M., Kim G., and Vasa. Anyone else? Anne-Marie. And Anne-Marie. Okay, we'll go with those four, starting with Janice M. And good morning to you, Katie. Um, this is Janice M., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, and to everyone. Um, you know, on the previous paragraph, it says business, and financial leaders were my heroes. Well, I'm going to continue with identification. Yes, Larry. Um, when I got out of college, business. My father had a business, and, and I was going to go into that business, and I was going to be at the top because I was too insecure to uh, teach in a public school. And finances, success, money, that was my goal. That was my aim. However, <laughs> you know, I, I can identify so much with Bill here because, you see, my pride, my pride of my own success was a, was a fall of my character. You know, I read someplace that pride is to character as an addict is to a house. In other words, the addict in the old homes, they were filled with junk or, in my house today, it's empty. You know, we have a newer type of home. So that's what my character was. And as my ego, as my self-will ran riot and progressed, so did my eating. So did Bill's drinking. As he became more prideful and how important I am, the drinking, my eating became increased because it was doing something for me. I mean, I haven't arrived at 21 years old, a woman, you know, being successful and having money and marrying to success. I mean, 
that was exhilarating. You know, I thought I was pretty good. Um, however, however, we know that pride comes before the fall, and that's that's what happened to me. But I can say today, my true measure of success in life is the me- measure of a spiritual progress, not only with you on the line, but in my home. You know, God is demonstrating through me what real success is. Yes, money is good, business is good. We're not saying God doesn't want us to have that. But mine was always in excess, in excess. I didn't handle it right. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. and Kim G. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. You know, I think about this in two examples from my life before OA and even in OA. You know, at 23, I went to the doctor because I wasn't feeling well, and my diagnosis was morbid obesity. And I knew I had to do something about it. So I had been taught bulimia in college and wasn't good at it. I decided I needed to get good at it. And my specific one was I was really good at exercising. So I joined a gym, and I lost a lot of weight, and the people approached me about doing a little testimony to them. So I had on the wall a picture of before and after with my testimony. Boy, I had arrived. People were asking me how I did. Couldn't believe my before picture. But just like Fred in More About Alcoholism, the end of a beautiful day, not a cloud on the horizon, great workout, walk out that door, and the thought occurs to me, maybe I'll just have one slice of pizza. And I was off and running again. I was, I was out of control, put the weight back on. So finally I come into OA, and I am militant about the food plan. I'm competitive. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat less than anyone else in this program eats. And I got really thin, and I've always thought that beauty is blonde hair and blue eyes. So I dyed my hair blonde. I bought blue eyes. I was on intergroup. I went into region, was on the region board. But I was staying sober by fear and fellowship only. Fear and fellowship only. It was terrifying. I was white-knuckling everything. And I was asked to try to be a trustee for Overeaters Anonymous. And I didn't know how to say no because I was scared to death. And my alcoholic mind told me, you know what, if you pick up, you're not qualified. And of course you can get back on track, but that way you don't have to say no. So I purposely picked up and I was off to the asylum again. But I had arrived. I was the one there touting at Region and I had to you know, describe as the thin, blonde hair, blue-eyed girl. What a day that was when I was described as the thin, blonde hair, blue-eyed girl. So that's what they're talking about here. I had arrived. I was to the tune of paper millions. People were listening to me. However, it was all false because all I was doing was trying to control and enjoy my eating by controlling and enjoying the allergy, which was impossible. And because I wasn't treating the obsession of the mind and drink was taking on a more important, exhilarating part of my life, it was only a matter of time before I picked up again. And with that, I pass. Okay, thank you, Kim G. Vasa, you're next. Thank you. Thank you, Katie, so much. And good good morning, Vision, for you. And I'm grateful recovering, recovered compulsive overeater. 
and uh, I can identify with Bill. Uh, I was not an alcoholic, but I was food food addict. Bill had a vision. He was young. He was living exciting life with his wife, going here and there. And uh, I can relate. You know, I was uh, I had my own vision, my creativity. And um, I, you know, I was dating, and I wanted to get married. We got married. I wanted the house. We got the house. I wanted the children, three, one at a time, but there was always more. I had the disease of more. I remember saying when I had the first child, oh, we had a girl. It would be nice to have a boy. Well, we, you know, after that, oh, it's nice to have you know, and then we got pregnant again. I was always looking and searching for fulfillment in my life, and that was good. Those were good things. I'm so grateful that God gave me those things because it kept me going. It was my survival. It kept me going. I did have God in my life, but I did not have a relationship with God. I remember going to church at times, or we had our children. There, You know, we got married in a church. We got, you know, the children was were baptized, and the children went to CCD. They, but I did not have that relationship. I had a relationship with, with the food on a daily basis, and I called on God, 911, every once in a while when things were really going bad in my life. It wasn't that often. So, But I did run to the food, um, and it it wasn't. I'll just wrap it up. I don't know if I'm almost out of time. It, uh, I came to the end. I had arrived to the end. You know, the food was the addiction was just getting taking over my life, and uh, I was, you know, getting more miserable. You know, sick and tired of being sick and tired, and that's when I surrendered, and that's when I found God. And that's when I found the programs, and that's when I threw myself in the big book, the identification, the allergy, the solution. Thank you, God. I found the answer to my problem. And But I didn't, you know, God was not going to bring it to me on a tray. I had to study. I had to go to the meetings, give service, and I couldn't do any of that stuff before I came. I couldn't even read a tool. I was so into myself. But being abstinent, getting the clarity, God pushed me a little bit more and fast, a little bit more. So thank you for letting me share in that pass. Thank you. Uh, Anne-Marie, your turn. Hi, this is Anne-Marie, recovered compulsive, Anne-Marie M., uh, recovered uh, compulsive eater. Um, thank you, Katie, for your service. Uh, you know, the sentence, the paragraph before, um, I failed to persuade my broker friends to send me out looking over factories and management, but my wife and I decided to go anyway. That, sen- that sentence reminded me of uh, what is written in step two of the 12 and 12. It's actually step, yeah. Um, as psychiatrists have often observed, defiance is the outstanding characteristic of many alcoholics. Um, so I re- I could so relate to that, and I related it to um, Bill in in this part of his story where his friends 
you know, wouldn't support him. And, uh, you know, I would imagine they maybe even told him it's not a good idea to go, but he was going to go anyway because he knew best. And I was that way when it came to um, my guiding. And I kept coming back. I started OA in 1988, came to my first few meetings and came for a little while and then thought, I know better than him. You know, I've been reading diet books. I've been reading um, how to, I've lost weight many times. I don't need this. So back and forth, back and forth, I kept on coming back to OA until until I got to desperate enough and realized that these 12 steps were really the only way for me to uh, have a, a, a life of serenity and peace. Um, but, you know, when he's talking here, um, I too have to make a comment on I had arrived. Um, he's doing all the things uh, that I see as defiantly. He's doing the things that way, the way he wants them to do, and that was the way I wanted, uh, I did. And when I got into my skinny jeans, like I used to call it, that's a brand name now, I guess, but I used to call them my skinny jeans. I'm going to get into my skinny jeans. When I got into my skinny jeans, I had arrived. You know, and I was exhilarated, and I just thought, you know, everyone's admiring me and looking at me. Now, of course, this only lasted about a week, and then I was got my putting my weight back on. If it lasted that long, those skinny jeans got tight very soon afterwards. Um, but it's just like Bill. As soon, I heard somebody say that as soon as he got money, he went back out drinking. As soon as I got what I thought was the answer to my problems, thinness. I started gaining weight back again. And so I could so relate to this part of the um of Bill's story and grateful that I, you know, I was open enough to um read this story, Bill's story, about a man who I'm not a man, who's a lawyer. I'm so far from being a lawyer and um uh was in the in the army. I didn't think I could relate, but um I so do uh, relate to his his feelings, his thought process and um the way he was uh, defiant. Thanks. Thank you, and I'd like to share. This is Katie. I covered compulsive reader in Virginia, um, and I just identify into this story, um, uh, you know, the progression of the disease in his life. And yet, you know, I came to my first uh, meeting when I was 14 years old in ninth grade. And I thought it sounded absolutely like the dumbest thing in the world that you would you know, be so worried about every little bite that you ate. So I spent the next um, seven years trying to prove that I did not belong in these rooms. And, of course, I tried all these different things. And then I did come back to OA, and then I spent six more years in the room um, thinking that I was just a little bit different from you and a little bit smarter and a little bit, you know, not... um, needing to follow the directions that were laid out in this book. I identified out constantly. So for 13 years from the first time I heard about this program until I stopped picking up the food as a solution to my problem. And I, I, my life was so much like um, what he's talking about here in, in recovery, in recovery, not in recovery, in the rooms where I tried to arrange my outside life. If I just found the job I liked, if I just picked the career I liked, if I just lived with these people, if I just had this going on, then um, I can cover up my, um, my eating. And, you know, someone asked me the other day if I was busy 
when I first got absent because, you know, it seems to take a lot of time to work this program. But, yeah, I was busy. I was working 70 hours a week, and yet I was eating constantly. Somehow in my eating, um, I managed to work. But, you know, that is the progressive nature of this disease. And, you know, I can't um, think my way and I can't um, be so busy that I'll forget to overeat. And so that's um, how I identify with this. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to share on this um, section before we move on? Okay, well, then I will ask uh, Michelle H. to read the next paragraph, please. Good morning, Katie. Thanks for your service. Michelle H. in Missouri, recovered compulsive overeater. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row, and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment, there had been no real infidelity, for loyalty to my wife, helped at times by extreme drunkenness, kept me out of those scrapes. And so <clears throat> the first sentence says that, you know, now my drinking is having more serious proportions. Um, and so identifying in from first it was exhilarating, you know, and I'm I'm remembering back to when, um, eating those sugary substances was an exhilaration for me. It was like a rush of adrenaline that seemed so long ago because I, I kept trying to um, replicate that feeling, that exhilarating part of my life. And, you know, as, as I found out, and we all find out in doctor's opinion, that, you know, if I'm a real compulsive overeater like me, then, you know, I have this physical allergy that's going to require more and more and more and um, that exhilaration, you know, that rush of adrenaline that I first felt is going to be elusive. It's going to require more and more. And um, as that happens, then, you know, my eating, my overeating compulsively became more serious. I just couldn't enjoy it every once in a while. Um, I had to have more. And it started consuming me, um, continuing all day and almost every night because of the, first of all, because of the physical allergy that once I had that substance in me, I couldn't stop even when I, when I wanted to until, you know, I was just so bloated and so full. And then when I was going to exert some self-will to try to stop, then the mental obsession would come in. And so my disease was reaching more and more serious proportions. And I had such a hard time um, embracing my powerlessness because of my, my patterns of, um, I thought I had these delusions of control because when I'd gain a certain amount of weight, then I would exert some, some force and the weight would come off. And so I, I had a hard time believing that I was powerless over this, over food and that I had a physical allergy. I didn't even know about the physical allergy or the mental obsession. So coming into program, I too was identifying out, this doesn't seem to be who I am, and, and I left and after a period of time, my disease became more serious where truly I couldn't go 20 minutes without having to run into the kitchen to try to consume more food, which I did. And then, you know, in my mind, no, I'm not going to do it. Yes, I will. No, I won't. It was consuming me every waking moment. 
and and during that time when you know people like my spouse and um, friends were trying to help me um, I was overly sensitive and was argumentative and didn't want this food taken away from me and and so yes I became more and more isolated um, powerless caught up um, a slave to the food a slave to this disease and more and more isolated more and more um, you know feeling um, overly sensitive people were being critical of me I thought and um, very very much unhappy times although I looked and appeared to be successful on on the external you know with um, being in a profession having a home um, looking to have a happy marriage on the outside but on the inside was was the despair was the depression and my disease did progress and and today I can identify in and I can see that powerlessness um, but I was resistant I was resistant to seeing that I was powerless and and that kept me um, from identifying in and seeing that this story like people have said it, it's how I felt it's my thinking can I identify in with what Bill is describing here and when I get honest with myself and I become willing I can say yes I too you know had this this pride about me that you know if, if I can just achieve this amount of academic um, achievements and awards then yes I'm worthy and and that's what's going to help me and all the while longer as I'm looking to these externals I'm getting deeper and deeper into my addiction with my food and it was taking me you know it was taking me into this destructive pattern and um, it, it just all it took was me to just to admit I am powerless I can't do this I need help and you know, thankfully, there there is a program, Overeaters Anonymous, where people are willing to once I'm willing to lend a helping hand and show me the way out. And when the only way out for me was these steps, and to take step one and admit my powerlessness over this disease, that over which was a battle I could not win. And and grateful today that um, I did become willing and saw my powerlessness and asked for help, and with God's grace and cooperation and working these steps, that mental obsession has been removed, where when I think back to four years ago, where every 20 minutes I was needing to feed that addiction, it's only, you know, by God's grace in these 12 steps that this miracle has happened for me, and, and I see it happening for others who in, embrace the big book in these directions. But, yes, my at first. Um, you know, before I was willing to surrender, my disease progressed. Certainly, did take on more serious proportions. Uh, grateful for my recovery and the help that's out there today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Who would like to share for three minutes on this paragraph? Monica, follow hey. me. I share. Monica <laughs> and Kathy. Paul, Paula, Sally. And Kathy. Anyone else? Okay, Monica, you're not you're first. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And so here we are in the chapter Bill's story and we are reading just beginning it here and we're going to be reading about the progression of his illness here in this chapter. So in the in the I like how Bill writes, you know, in the previous paragraph here, he had arrived, it was exhilarating, he was an important dude, things are going wonderful, he's got lots of money. And then this paragraph, ooh, 
My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. Here we're going to start seeing some consequences here. The remonstrances, uh, which is a speech or gesture of protest and opposition or reproof. So his friends are saying something to him about his drinking. Of my friends terminated in a row and I became a lone wolf. So people are are saying, you know, his friends are trying to say, hey, Bill, you know, you're doing a lot of drinking here. Well, you know, that upsets him and to hang with you all. I'm just, I don't need you guys. And so what's happening here? Isolation. He's isolating. I isolated too. You know, when I got really fat, I didn't want to go to anywhere with my husband because I didn't want anybody to see me. I didn't have anything to wear. I just wanted to stay home. Uh, you know, that was my thinking. I, I didn't, I was isolating too. And then he goes on to talk about there were many unhappy scenes in his strumptious apartment. You know, his marriage, there's consequences happening in his marriage here. His, is, his marriage is deteriorating. So we're seeing some consequences here. And he's gone from, you know, happy, drinking, exhilarating to becoming a lone wolf, you know, isolating. And these are part of the progression of our disease. And I had these things too. And with that, I'll pass. Okay. And next is Paula. Thank you, Monica. Paula, press star unmute, please. Thank you very much for that directions. I'm loving directions. Uh, This would be Paula. I am a compulsive overeater today recovered. I'd like to circle that line, and I became a lone wolf. Wolves don't run alone. They run in packs. Why a lone wolf? He can't keep up anymore. They leave him. He doesn't leave them, not like before. He was a leader. No, because it said clearly, my judgment ideas were followed. Followed. Who follows? They follow a leader. But here we see they don't follow him. They don't want to be with him. He's diseased. We know about that. But I want to go down and continue on. There were many unhappy scenes in a sumptuous apartment. Doesn't that sound like an an opposite here? You got this beautiful apartment. The outside. But inside that apartment, what was going on? Unhappy scenes. How it changed, quickly or slowly. Change it did. A change that he didn't want and didn't expect. You know, he said on that last line, and when we come into here, I had made a host of fair weather friends. And even his friends, fair weather, when the storms come. Like the the pack, they leave. They leave the wolf alone. And the storms do come. And here we name the storm, my drinking. So there, his addiction assumed. It took the assumption, rightly so, more serious proportions. Look at the words, though, continuing. Do you remember? I remember. Oh, I'll stop soon. I'll stop soon. Tomorrow, tomorrow. It'll be tomorrow. Oh, it'll be Monday. Do you remember that? All day and almost every night. Yeah. So here we come into Bill's life. And we get to identify. Not unhappily, but 
but to see the truth of it. This disease, there is no dignity. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you. And Sally A., you're up. Thank you. Thank you so much for your your gift of your time to all of us. This is Sally A., um, recovered compulsive reader in South Jersey, and this is really good stuff. I just love the way Bill writes. Um, we know that the first eight pages of Bill's story are pretty much like watching Bill in an elevator on the top floor, very excited and happy, and just going down, down, down. He's going down. And um, we, we saw in this last paragraph the excitement and the risk-taking behavior that he has, very much like um, a man running in front of fire engines or a guy putting his hand on a hot stove. He's talking a lot about his risky behavior on the on the left side of the page, in the middle of the page, he's talking about the alloy of drink and speculation. And on the right side of the page, right across from it, the great boom of the late 20s is seizing and swelling. And all the risk behavior of sneaking and drinking because it was illegal in the 20s to drink. You know, you'd have to go into these easies, these, these uh, I can't remember what they call these um, these these places that they would go to to sneak and drink. But that was part of the exhilaration that we're seeing in this previous paragraph. Leading to the very last sentence, I made a host of fair-weather friends. These were, his, these were his eating buddies. These were his drinking buddies. I had my eating buddies. But leading to this paragraph, you start to see the decline. The elevator is going down. My drinking assumed more serious proportions. And we see what's coming in these in the next paragraph at the top of page four, it says every day and every night, and it keeps going. It's like an elevator going down. But here we see the beginning of this progression by drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night, almost at this point. But at the top of page four, it's every day and every night. And so we see the progression. And he goes on to say, you know, in the last paragraph, last sentence, I made a host of fair-weather friends. He's got his eating or drinking buddies in his case. I had my eating buddies. And here we see him going down. He's becoming a lone wolf. And, and as Monica was talking about, I have in my, um, one of the definitions that I have for the remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row. It's uh, one of the other ones I've seen is the expressions of disapproval. You know, all they had to do was just lift their eyebrows at Bill's behavior. And that was enough for him to think, I don't need these guys. I don't have to have them tell me what they think. I don't care what they think. And yet we see that his, his whole, his life is falling apart. His work is falling apart. His, his relationship with his wife is falling apart. And we just see the beginning of the decline and the elevator going down. Thanks for letting me share with that iPad. Thank you, Sally. And next we will have Kathy from Boston. Hi, Katie. Thank you for your service. This is Kathy, a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I wanted to comment here um, because I read Bill's story many times, actually, before I really identified in um, and uh, I'm speaking to anyone perhaps who never had a lot of weight to lose, um, but whose thinking was entirely distorted, and um, and the mental obsession led to frequent 
overeating, and in my case, eating uh, lots of sugar and carbs, and as one who's a diabetic, that can be lethal. Um, uh, And, you know, um, I read this particular paragraph and today can acknowledge that um, my food behavior became really, really bad, and the only thing that kept it contained at all was my fear of killing myself um, with sugar and also my need to please my husband because he was very concerned about me and talked to me about, you know, how often I was eating, overeating or eating the wrong things. And uh, he tried, but he too was powerless over my disease. I wasn't the only one in the family powerless over it. Um, I I went into hiding, basically, with my food so that I wouldn't hear the remonstrances of others. Um, I would sneak eat a lot. Um, And all this time, as I'm going down my elevator, um, not only am I sneaking food, but my thinking is getting so twisted Um, I'm spending more and more time in anxiety and depression and less and less time um, living out the dreams that I had started off with, uh, as Bill talks about at the beginning of this chapter. Um, So today I identify in entirely, and as I read it, um, I recognize you know, it doesn't really matter what the weight issue was. It matters uh, what I was doing to my body and the way I was thinking and treating myself and other people. And uh, I'm just so grateful that finally I was cracked open to really identify in. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Who else would like to share on this? Um, Sue? Do. Sue. Sue? No, it's Sue. Diane B. Okay, Sue and Diane B. Hi, everybody. Thanks. This is Sue V. I'm from Connecticut. I'm in Naples, Florida. It's gorgeous. Thank you, everybody, for the outreach calls. I put my name out there the other day. Um, Yeah, I'm recovered. Recovered today. Thank you, God. And um, I love Bill's story. You know, lots of times when I... I think about just the idea that, you know, Bill's sober writing his story. Um, He's reflecting. He's identifying his past, you know, the progression of his disease for us. And identification is such an important concept to, um, to really find out, for me to listen to see where is my story like Bill's, you know, not where am I different. And um, I definitely identify with the progression. I, uh, I loved living in excess, boy. You, you know, you wanted anything that came my way, I wanted to try it and do it. And I was so fear-filled, really, you know. The truth was I was so fearful. But when I found those substances, right, that really gave me a kick, and uh, boy, and I, and I loved overindulging, and, and that's what it was like a lot, you know. And um, the only, I guess the only thing that kind of deterred me was my weight. You know, when I started gaining weight, that was like, uh uh-oh, you know. 
and I would go into the diet mode, and um, I never had a clue. Only looking back now do I see the difference in, in how it was for me. So how grateful I am today that even though I had a really, really long journey in addiction, that I, I kept seeking, you know, the solution, you know, the spiritual solution that I found here. And um, so people who are new, you know, lots of times we say, you know, young people or whatever, maybe they haven't been in the throes of of addiction for 20, 30 years. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they're lucky enough to to kind of have an inkling and listen. We don't have to do, you know, it doesn't have to be exactly like Bill. It doesn't have to be the same. We look for where we identify. So um, thank you all for being there. I'll pass. Okay, thank you. And the next person, please. Hello? Can you hear me? Oh, hi, this is Diane B. in New York, uh, Recovered Compulsive Eater. And um, what I've been thinking about as we're reading and sharing is how, you know, he's talking about this beautiful apartment that he has and how he's kind of, you know, he's arrived, as we've heard people say. And I remember, I mean, I came into the rooms in 86, and then I met my husband in 89, and we met in the rooms. So here was this perfect person for me, um, and after we got married, we both went into relapse. And I just remember have, feeling so comfortable with this man who didn't care if I started gaining weight. We were binge buddies. But I had all the externals. I had, you know, the, the great guy. I had children. I had a nice house. Um, I didn't have to work. I was taking care of the kids. And he worked. Like, I had all these things that I'd always thought that I wanted. So my externals basically were being taken care of and all of that stuff looked really good but internally my insides I was still really angry churning and I was diseased and so what I've learned over the years is that it's an inside job until I found my higher power until I was able to turn my will and my life over to the care of that higher power every day It didn't matter what was going on on the outside. It didn't matter where I lived. It didn't matter what the job was. It didn't matter. Nothing else mattered. If, you know, the externals were going to be what they were going to be. It was that I had to learn to do this from the inside out. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Okay, we have time for one more very quick share if someone would like to jump in. Okay, well then I will ask Penny C. to please read. Um, Okay, thanks to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Penny C. please read A Vision for You? This this is Penny C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right 
and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you have and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who participated today, especially Morrissey on the 21st.